Welcome to Jenny and Paul Sell Out, episode number three. On today's podcast, we take up the serious issue of Lifetime movies and their role in normalizing family life in suburban America, and warning of the dangers of being Richard Crenna, but not Roy Scheider. I'm Paul Riesmandel, one half of your sellout team. Joining Jenny Benevento and I for this important conversation is my brother, Dr. Kyle Riesmandel, PhD. Stay tuned or get left behind. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, well, with us on the line here is my brother, Kyle Riesmandel, PhD. Wow. Well, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, now you know. Uh, Kyle. Yes, he is very schooled. He has a PhD in American studies, uh, and so he is uh, he's here to help us in our uh, rather amateur explorations in the study of America. I, I know nothing about America, actually, and though I have a history degree, uh, you know, not a PhD, I never took a class that was past the Civil War in American history. So <laughs> That's I, pretty common, actually. Yeah, I hope, I hope it went well. I don't, I don't know. I live. In, I grew up in Illinois too. You'd think like that would be a war that we would care about, but no. What area of American studies did you did you focus on? Uh, I do 20th century U.S. cultural and urban history, uh, and I'm working on a book about the cultural history of the suburbs. Ah, I'm going to L.A. next week, so I I can do some firsthand research for you. There's lots of arguments about L.A. and whether that counts. Ah, I a, interesting. I had a dissertation reader who. Wanted to talk a lot about LA because I talked about hardcore punk and whether it actually counted as suburban, which is kind of beside the point, but still. That's, I mean, if we had a different title for this podcast, it would be beside the point, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just preface this with, with Jenny and Paul. <laughs> beside the point. Yes, exactly. Well, that can be our uh, follow-up podcast, you know. <laughs> right. You know, a lot of the podcasts do the after dark Oh, you yeah, know, we should definitely do that. Beside you know, the point. Beside the point. It's our after dark. When things uh, descend. Although, I don't, I don't know what point it is for us, because usually after dark is when they start swearing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I drink a lot of caffeine, and my swearing goes way up when I, when I drink Well, caffeine. so we're leveling off with the beer, then. Yes. Now I'm Doesn't that come beer. from back in the 80s with HBO and Showtime? Wasn't that they used to brand themselves the HBO oh, After yeah. Dark? After Dark, Or yes. USA. I can't remember, Paul. You I think that was, was up all Cinemax. night. Cinemax yeah, is after, after dark. That's when real sex would come on. That's when the right. uh, soft porn right. was right. was Cinemax after dark and documentaries, quote yeah. unquote. I'm making forty fingers. So am I. Okay, good. <laughs> that's like, how, just in uh, case they would forget that we're being ironic. That's how they got the name Skinemax. Exactly. Right. Well, that's that's a lovely segue into what is the point? <laughs> what is the point? <laughs> I thought we were going to talk more about Skinemax. <laughs> Well, I mean, softcore porn in general, I feel like, is related to the topic of today, chosen by our guest, I think. Yes, to a certain degree. Um, I I think about this a lot, trying to write about the suburbs. Uh, The topic is lifetime movies. And I think we can even include Hallmark movies or even made-for-TV movies, certainly in the 80s. Family, does that count? Yes, it absolutely counts. Or afternoon, the ABC afternoon special. I don't know what that is. What? It's like it's like uh, when you teach kids to not do drugs. No, yeah. that's a different thing. Oh, they're, okay. They probably come from the same seeds, but uh, it, it ends up being a very different thing. It's more straightforwardly educational. Um, so would, would Seventh Heaven count? Well, we have to make a distinction between series like and right. standalone movies, sure. although there are a series of movies as well. Uh, but I think 
the Lifetime movie is it's is its own thing that's different from you know your kind of ABC Family like the Secret Life of the American Teenager or uh, as you say Seventh Heaven. So what got you into this? I really wanted to put it in my book, and it's not in there. Um, so I like talking about it, but I also just really enjoy watching them. I think that was my original interest. I saw one, and I don't I can't find the title, but it's about a, like a neighbor that's terrorizing. Like it's a single woman who's older terrorizing a family. And there's this hilarious scene where these kids are playing in the yard and the neighbor rises like directly into her window. Like she's being uh, like lifted up like the force and she has a giant turkey drumstick. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of the funniest things I had ever seen. And I thought this is normal. So, well, I guess there's two, there's a distinction. (laughs) They live next door to a Renaissance fair. That's a fair point. But so in, in doing a minor bit of research for this podcast, um, and I'll emphasize minor. Um, I, it seems like there's two ways that the Lifetime movies go. It's either a made for, it's like a based on a true story mm-hmm. about a, a lovely white girl getting kidnapped or raped. Yeah. I mean, I think you, almost always you can assume that white people. So if we say people, we mean oh, white. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But and then ahead. the other half is like some sexy softcore fake movie with a lady killer. A I started ki- thinking killer about this too. Corbin Burnson, usually. I think, I think the categories are slightly broader okay. uh, with like lots of subgenres, but they're sort sure. of the romantic slash sexy story about the person who's finally going to complete themselves through some romantic relationship. And then there's the barely concealed or contained homicidal rage within a seemingly <laughs> normal environment. But they have lots of subgenres. You know, you, there's religious ones, there's holiday ones, there's a sort of there's the neighbor, there's the abusive husband. Do you, do you have any sense of what percentage are uh, actually based on a true story versus not? Because I feel like from the outside, if you haven't seen a lot of Lifetime movies, it seems like a lot of them are based on a true story. That's exactly how they function is not a lot. I, w- I would say maybe 20 percent. But because you th- almost everybody thinks they are, no matter what they are, oh. it, it, it carries with them a sort of weight of reality of, of, of the sort of educational the, the, the sub-educational purpose of the Lifetime movie. Yeah, it seems like the, the thing I'm f- more familiar with that it seems very similar to is uh, it's like a step beyond Law & Order SVU. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the curiosity factor that, that you get, that people want to see a sort of perilous situation and someone emerge from it. Um, the you know, same way any kind of horror film works. But these are very particular horrors. They're almost always, <laughs> you know, abusive husbands, stalkers and sort of creepy neighbors or, or shady people who enter your life with a seemingly good purpose who end up being dangerous because they're supposed to teach you a lesson, right? It's ultimately like an urban legend made into a movie all the time. And what is the lesson? Well, it's a couple. Uh, I think one is it almost always reinforces heteronormativity in some way that a fulfilling romantic relationship is the thing that will protect you from all these dangers. So if you're with someone who's fake in some way or who doesn't actually love you, who's cheating, right? All those things are, completely abnormal and are the thing that's driving the fear or the horror. So if you're with Corbin Burnson under any circumstance. <laughs> yes. And that applies to real life as well. As far as I know. Um, yeah. Or Harry Hamlin too, I would say. Oh, Harry Hamlin. I, I forgot that he'd uh, managed to find his second career as well. Yeah. But Larry Drake does not star in any, <laughs> as far as I know. Well, I like that movie about two handicapped people, but one of them is the abusive husband. Well, because Larry Drake is living off of the Dark Man royalties, basically. <laughs> I'm sure he is. That's the only thing I know he's done besides uh, besides L.A. Law. Well, Dark Man 3, die, Dark Man, die. <laughs> you know, 
where, where basically his character. I forget. I'm not his familiar with that film. You're not familiar <laughs> not, with. Not familiar. Are you familiar with the, with the original, Dark Man yes, series? Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. So they went you know on. Who Larry Drake is right. Right. Sure. Okay. Yeah, he was the uh, the the uh, person who with developmental disabilities on L.A. Law. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, the Darkman series he had number one with Liam Neeson, and then afterwards he made a bunch of of sequels without Liam Neeson because they realized, well, the character is mostly just cloaked anyway, so who cares? Um, right. And uh, they played up the uh, villain character played by Larry Drake, so he effectively became the star. Oh, I guess he was. It says on IMDb that he was in something called Prey, a TV series of the late '90s, and he appeared in every episode. Uh, oh, he's Doctor Giggles too. If I remember oh correctly. yes, Doctor <laughs> Giggles. Were there any sequels to Doctor Giggles? Uh, not with Larry Drake. So, <laughs> so what? How did are... you give up such a successful franchise? <laughs> I don't know. So, what are other like moral other than oh, you know right. stay with the dude? Um. <laughs> well, because like I feel like in the abusive husband situation, that's probably not the moral is probably not stay with that dude. No, but it is to find a certain kind of man. But in general, it's that you can only find happiness through a, a productive romantic relationship that's sort of heteronormative in some way. So it's it's non-fictional is what you're saying. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I mean, like, that's true. Oh, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> oh, I thought I was just taking it for granted. Especially, yeah, I mean, duh. Especially if your name is Meredith Baxter Burney or sure. Mayor Whittingham. Yeah. Right. Of course, you know, Meredith Baxter Burney, famous lesbian. Um, sure. Uh, no, I didn't know that actually. <laughs> oh, that's why. See, these why you know these are the intricacies of pop culture. Is is you it, uh, okay. Those ironies of people playing abused wives who are not straight, uh, but they're not being abused by some big butch lesbian in most cases, unless you count abuses having to go play softball every week. Or that other lady who is in your man's life who is a right. homicidal. Yeah, so you have like the stalker sort of genre as well. And I think the bigger thing that's going on here that I haven't said that I think is what I work on, uh, and that doesn't have to be an academic discussion, but I think what I'm trying to work around is the idea that the suburb of the 70s, 80s, and 90s is, and I guess the present ultimately, is defined by threats and how people respond to those threats. And it changes the way we see the landscape and think about the suburb as an idea. And so one of the many threats is sort of the threat within the sort of abusive husband, stalker, et cetera. Uh, as well as the sort of lurking neighbor molester character. So from what I mean, from the one I saw this today and from the few I've seen, especially if they're not non, they are fictional. It seems like they never really define a city or a place. Like in, in the one I watched today, they were like, this is a city. Lots of people get killed, but it doesn't seem like city. And also like they never (laughs) mentioned the city. So (laughs) is it, I mean, do they ever, are they ever tied to a place? Well, that, there's sort of practical reasons for that. Like most low-budget films, they film in Toronto or Vancouver. Right. So they will have those kind of like uh, second-unit shots of cities. But for the most part, they film on the set of a house or a set of houses, things that are like familiar familiar suburban settings, even if it's not explicit. And even if sometimes if it's explicitly a city, they will still film in those places. But do they, do they sort of evade saying where, like, this is in <laughs> Alabama or this is in Texas or this is in... Unless it's something that's so famously true story, um, like especially the early ones from the 80s. And Paul, you might remember this about uh, the guy, I think it was Mike Marshall. Oh, and Tom Trevor. Right. That was a very famous one that had a very particular setting, right? But I think the supposed setting for all of them is a kind of familiar suburban environment. It goes without saying purposefully is that it could be your, you know, where you live in sort of the same way that like America's Most Wanted functions that even though you're unlikely to see someone in the top 10 most wanted, you still have this sense of peril that's in your environment always because of the, the, uh, 
the trafficking of those images. And I think the Hallmark Lifetime movie works the same way. Well, yeah, and I think kidnapping is such a, a theme for that, too. I mean, especially starting in the 80s. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, that's actually in the dissertation. So. Yeah, <laughs> that was provable in a way that people accepted, or at least they gave up on and didn't want to fight about anymore. And it will be in the book, presumably, whenever that comes out. Check your bookshelves in 2016. So, what uh, what are some great lifetime movies? Well, that's the thing. I was trying to think about the ones, and I guess it's maybe the fault of the genre. They're so ephemeral, ephemeral, that you forget. Like, you literally watch them and you're like, this could be the greatest one you've ever seen, but you know there'll be another one and there's no need to remember. <laughs> uh, although what I do love uh, is Student Seduction with Elizabeth Berkley. Oh, wow. Playing... I love Elizabeth Berkley. Is this pre or post Showgirls? Oh, post. This is like, okay. I would say within the last five years. Uh, 2003, so yeah. Okay. Yeah, it would have to be. <laughs> well, but it's pre her her book for for young girls. She's a, what? She's an advice book for young girls. <laughs> Which I guess, in some sense, like, that's good. Number one, lap dances are to be reserved for off-film moments. Two, never trust Esther House. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I I feel like if there's an advice book and that's never trust Esther House as a a rule, I think that's a really decent book. (laughs) Yeah, that's the only rule. That's a great piece of advice. So I'm looking up the storyline for this because I didn't remember the exact plot line. But essentially, she is a new, young, attractive teacher who helps out a troubled student who then attacks her sexually. And she reports this, and she's made to be the aggressor. And so she's prosecuted and sort of tarred with that feather uh, or tarred with that brush. Yeah. So, well, I, I was looking up. A, there's a bunch of top ten lists on different websites of, like, the top ten best Lifetime movies Okay. Uh, on websites. It just seems like people make top tens of them. And the ones that come up a lot, I feel like, are ones where people didn't know they were pregnant. There was one that was like on every one of them where it's a woman who wakes up pregnant even though her husband has had a vasectomy and she has not cheated. And mm-hmm. it was her dentist who raped her while she was under, <laughs> right. under sedation. The underlying moral is always don't trust anybody you already trust. So, <laughs> and then, there was another one called... Oh, sorry. There's another one called Cyber Something, which is, a, oh, you know... that's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> that's about uh, porn addiction. Mm-hmm. So this, it's about this kid who's maybe 10 or 11, finds porn, and becomes so desensitized to sex, he just, like, his life just falls apart. He goes, he wants to kill himself and all this stuff, all because of pornography he saw on the internet. So that's a, Oh, what is that one called? I gotta find it's it. Cyber Addiction or Cyber Attraction? It's got Cyber in the title, and I feel like... That's it, how you know it's not at all relevant. Who, <laughs> yeah, good who plays the kid? That's what I want to know. It sounds like the perfect uh, for Danny Faustino. I think it's later than that. Oh, okay. Wait, you, love, you love outing gay celebrities. David <laughs> oh, no, sorry. <laughs> Danny from uh, Who's the Boss is gay. Oh, okay. Well, but of course. Th- uh, uh, well, Fred Savage Savage was in one as an abusive boyfriend. That's a great one with Candace uh, Cameron Bure. Fantastic. I don't know who she is. <laughs> she's Can- like Candace Cameron, right? Yeah, she was on yeah, Full House. She's oh, Ca- yeah, Kirk yeah, Cameron's yeah. sister. The, the older daughter. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, she's, and she's Kirk Cameron's sister? Yeah. And they're in the same church together. Wow. They, they... Oh, I'm just going to hang up now if you're not going to try. Are they, they going to be left behind? <laughs> no, they're not, but we are. Oh. oh, yeah. All right. Well, I do want to talk about cyber seduction and the Fred Savage. Okay, let's do it. But I want to come back to the left behind because that's a special <laughs> kind of Hallmark slash Lifetime. I am all I about that. that. Well, okay. We well, it, it's debatable whether it counts. Notes. But it's made for TV, and it has the same kind of moral educational purpose. My let's, favorite being Fireproof with Kirk Cameron. Let's start with Cyber Seduction. I'm going to just type these so I don't forget, because I definitely want to talk about that. Um, so Cyber Seduction. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, Justin Peterson, a popular 16-year-old high school student and successful swimmer with a steady girlfriend, right? Of course, he has to be seen normal. Um, <laughs> so he's had this, like, swimming career that's uh, stopped by his introduction to internet pornography. <laughs> Because you can't, you, you they will not let you compete with a hard on. It's true. <laughs> it slows you down. I mean, we it know did. that. Yeah, yeah. It's not remotely uh, uh, hydrodynamic. And also, yeah. uh, you know, like there's nothing um, less erotic than lots of dudes naked together um, in in speedos. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm jacking off right now, so we know it's great. <laughs> um, uh, so I always love it too that they always play these sort of tangential sports. It's like never football or baseball. It's always lacrosse. <laughs> or swimming or ping pong, like some sport that, like, you know, you could probably go pro in, even though you're not very good. Um, that's besides the point. That's my, my pet peeve. So <laughs> I hate that I'm just reading the plot off of Wikipedia, but I think it's worth knowing. Uh, Justin is introduced to internet pornography when a friend sends him a link to Softcore featuring Monica, a fellow student who has a crush on him. And so he's captivated by the images and he's like stalking her. Wait, 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 wait. So his fellow student who is underage is in a Softcore pornographic film? Oh yeah, because <laughs> that seems like that's the story. I believe wasn't that a gimme a gimme a break episode I mean, at one point? But like that seems like that should be the lifetime movie. Like wait, wait it gets even better. I uh, think it was also a uh, facts of life episode. I think Blair was was uh, was, was talked into doing some modeling. Oh it, yeah, it would be great. Make love to the camera, Blair. It would be great if this was like the Viewisk universe where like that girl Blair was in her own lifetime movie, and mm-hmm. then like he fought, he sees that. Right, movie right. Show, that would be awesome. <laughs> I would be That's super what we found happy. out about software pornography. Right. Right. Somebody tweet Kevin Smith right now. Exactly. I think he'd be into it because he's so into Degrassi. That's true. Uh, that, it's, oh, I love Degrassi as well. Um, so cyber seduction. <laughs> sorry. I'm just reading the... It, it's just so hilariously detailed, too. Someone really gives a shit about this. <laughs> um, but I love this part. It's from 2005, but he also betrays his mother's trust by downloading porn onto her PDA. What? <laughs> Wait, is oh, it God. like asking for it? Put this pornography on my Zorus. <laughs> <laughs> my Newton is all <laughs> jammed up with the pornography. When I when I turn a display upside down, it says boobs. <laughs> <laughs> did did uh did he also put some porn on the TI eighty two? This is turning into car yeah. talk now. Um <laughs> uh, the second part of that sentence is actually pretty good, too. And exposes his younger brother, Alex, to porn, leaving him queasy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Alex is gay. Right. He's like, oh, I need more cock for this, Justin. Uh, I only like half of this porn. <laughs> what I love, too, is that he's then an outcast at school for liking porn. He's called the porn freak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that totally happens in high school. People yeah. people totally outcast. I think, that was, I, think that was, I think that was my friend, Eddie. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't even tell the story I was going to tell for fear our mother will hear this. He, he, uh, he could he, he dealt that on VHS and in, <laughs> in the lunchroom because his uh, his dad had the Playboy Channel. Oh, and was, was and didn't was libertine and did not care that Ed uh, could uh, record it all he wanted. So he would record, you know, the nurses at the four hundred seven seventh and and genital <laughs> hospital and and uh, wow. sell those uh, VHS tapes in the lunchroom. <laughs> so he was not he, outcast. No, I would say it was relatively popular. Okay. <laughs> no, granted, this was the 1980s. And it right. was a different time. I, yeah, I feel in my period of time, pornography made you cool as well. Hmm. It always made you cool. Yeah, I don't think there was a time when it didn't. Well, you know, but, 
you were you're you're going to school in Oak Park. That's it's nearly true. the city. It's, it's true. not not suburban really. Right. So porn is cool in the city and not in the suburbs. I think that's exactly it. Okay. Well, that's certainly the message they want you to get. Right. Right. Um, so then he discovers a CDR. I, I just love the dating <laughs> technology. <laughs> he downloads a MIDI. Yeah. <laughs> Someone moaning. It's, it's, it's an animated GIF. He was on the After Dark CompuServe forum. You want to know what the CDR is titled? Yes. <laughs> oh, it's hot, so get ready. Virgin Vaginas. Which apparently has its own wiki link, which I'm going to click on. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's two separate words. <laughs> I was really hoping there was a CDR I could get. <laughs> Virgin Vagina is very um, erotic. I like that it's it's not – it's clinical. It's a little clinical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it is just like a medical exam. Who knows? And here's my question. If you are a virgin who – you know, like a 14-year-old boy, I'm assuming that he's a good boy. He's on the swim team. Of course. He's probably a virgin. Is, Airless. Yeah, is, is virgin pornography like a subgenre that would be attractive to you? Hmm. Maybe it seems more realistic that your friend, you know, you might know a girl who is a virgin oh, and just do, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that he sought this out. Remember, he has a mania for pornography. So. <laughs> it's true. I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> I love, uh, he, he continues to surf the web for porn, eventually racking up extensive bills on his parents' credit cards. Um, how do you think it ends? I'm going to let you guess because if you know anything about television movies, you should know how it ends. He kills himself? Good guess. He tries to drown himself in the pool where he swims for his team. <laughs> oh, wait, how do you try and drown yourself if you're a swimmer? That seems really difficult. Right, it's like an extra level of difficulty you don't need. Unless you, like, you know, tie weights to your legs, you know. Yeah, but it seems like it's your human impulse to not drown. And then also, if you swim every day, it seems like... Right. Yeah, difficult. So he well, does live. He, he, uh, he lashed himself to a compact Model 40... And threw it into the, uh, the, he took the PDA. It's the portable computer right. uh, that weighs 50 pounds. Right. And he threw it into the deep end and uh, he went right down. So he tried to kill himself. That didn't work. What happens? Um, the last spoiler five... alert. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. In the last five minutes, he overcomes his addiction and reunites with his family. Oh, that's good. He reunites. What? He was separated during this time? Was he in well, the I porn think, asylum? I think it was tearing the family apart. It was tearing them apart, definitely. <laughs> If it had been a movie about black people, they would have said, Are you tearing our family apart? <laughs> so in the Fred Savage film, it's Fred Savage beating up his girlfriend. It's like no one no one tells or something. No one Yeah, that was a little more realistic. Um he yeah, he I that may have been actually like a ABC movie. I don't think it was necessarily like uh-huh. I remember, but and it's a slight difference. Usually they make them the, the quality slightly better uh, of the acting and writing. I'm trying to remember what that one was called, but it's great if you have a chance to watch no it. No one knows. It's some, no one something. I don't know what it's called. Um, so no ha- one would tell. There that's what it is. So is there ever a gay in any of these movies? No. Never a gay best friend who's like, listen, listen sister. He's or, no good for or you. Or even like a gay coming out, like that's tearing mm-hmm. the family apart. Mm-hmm. No, these are all very conservative, politically conservative movies. Like they, they really don't embrace any kind of diversity. In fact, they ignore it. To the point of being so obvious uh, that there are no gay characters almost ever. I, and I, don't, I can't speak for the very recent ones. I suspect that there might be some that teach some sort of lesson about tolerance. But I feel like a lot of them have a lot of premarital sex in them. Mm-hmm. So, but, but it's always punished. But it's dangerous, right? These oh. are like code era, you know, Hayes code era Hollywood films. Sure, sure. Where there has to be some sort of narrative retribution or sort of resolution that uh, reaffirms the, the values 
Well, your description does. I mean, I think I would check into to Seventh Heaven because that is exactly like the structure of Seventh Heaven as well. And every episode is like a moral, like, don't take caffeine pills because <laughs> you didn't see the Saved by the I Bell. Learned that lesson. Right. No, <laughs> I learned that lesson the hard way. Let me tell you. Um, Drug episode of 90210 with euphoria. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so those are your favorites, you would say? Oh yeah, I definitely remember them. So it, I had I was trying to remember the titles. I just can't remember things anymore. Uh, but when you mentioned them, I knew immediately which ones you were talking about. I saw today. I saw flirting with danger, which is an overly complex story. Um, and again, spoiler alert: the the way the lady kills people. Which first of all, you know who the killer is, and I'm not saying this because I'm like. I'm so smart, I figured it out. Literally everyone in the film knows who the killer is in the first 20 minutes. They're like, that lady's killing people. How are we going to figure... Yeah, so... These movies are not about suspense. (laughs) They really are about their moral message, you know, as explicit... Just like Scooby-Doo. Right. (laughs) Everyone knows. Yeah, the first guy you meet, right? It's just the meddling kids. So, uh, the first first, uh, person... So, it was totally ruined for me, but I guess the romance is also a major part of that film. Mm-hmm. as well um but the way people get killed in this film the, the her her mo is that she rubs some weird oil on people that is a poison but it's only a poison when it's heated up when when their pores <laughs> open enough to take in the poison so she puts them throws them into the sauna <laughs> so, yeah yeah they die in like hot tubs or saunas or the shower so she gives them a massage and then they go into like the <laughs> sauna and then they die so clearly massages are dangerous <laughs> massages are right. dangerous any place with a uh, temperature Humidity. over 90 degrees fahrenheit but Why my favorite part about this movie is, so there's tons of women in this movie who are, like, sort of romantic interests. And there's also this class theme where, like, the main character only hooks up with, like, society ladies, though he's a poor guy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, in the end, he ends up with a poor girl <coughs> who is his best friend, who they grew up together. And she's a policewoman. And she's she's down home. And even though everyone, they grew up together, she has some, like, sort of intense accent <laughs> and is an ethnic she's the only ethnic <laughs> right in the, in the, they, and they go for, out for italian food at the end um but they're treacherous eaters <laughs> yeah exactly well no i think she's supposed to be italian i think that's i think she's some sort of ethnic and she's darker than everyone else in the film and she doesn't belong... have a question for you uh-huh. did you post on the floating with danger board on imdb i did not I because did... someone has written fan fiction and then posted, has anyone thought about writing a continuation of Rafe and Glory together? Because I might have a few ideas. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. Um, the whole movie, she's like, hey, you guys. You know, she's got like this <laughs> accent, like pizzeria it's, accent. It's Rita Moreno. <laughs> she's like, hey. Hey, you guys. She's like, I don't like that you like these society bitches. <laughs> and then, then at the end, at the what? end. What? We're not good enough for you? Exactly, exactly. So you're like, where are they? Um, and they all grew up together, but no one else has that accent. But she's a policewoman, so I guess that's why. And oh, then yes, of course. at the end, you know, she saves him from dying. And so now he loves her. And she starts wearing dresses. Uh-huh. Like the whole movie, she wears pants because she's a policewoman. Right. right. And then at the end. Just like Tyne Daly. Right. And then at the end. <laughs> the sexy Tyne Daly. Right. Or Olivia from SVU. That's, that's again, why I thought she's of that. She's actually sexy. Okay, go ahead. Right. Yeah, she is actually sexy. But at the end, so at the end, she's like in a, in a lovely sundress. And it's all in, and and they're celebrating her ethnicity then. And she magically uh, uh, starts talking like a standard Midwesterner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> and his name's Rafe. Like, what? Why is his name Rafe? 
Because he has to seem exotic in some way. Yeah, I guess. I, I guess what's interesting for me, too, and maybe it gets back to some of the things you guys have been talking about in the previous episodes, is that I, I'm trying to figure out why I like them and what they're doing, like what the cultural work they're doing is. It's so interesting. Because they're very obviously poorly done in a certain way that we find funny as, you know, whatever you want to say, seasoned media users. Um, but I think they're also interesting because they are so earnest. Like they really think they're doing a certain kind of work that probably isn't being done. To educate people in a certain way. Well, I was actually surprised because the production value of this film was, like, pretty good. I mean, the actors were very good. It was a, The story was written very poorly. But, like, I think it was to a convention. So it was obviously mm-hmm. not. I mean, the whole idea where the suspense aspect was killed in the first 20 minutes confused the heck out of me. So I think that was part of it for me where I was like, wait, the movie's basically over. What's happening now? Um, it's like a blues song. You know exactly how this is going to resolve. I guess, yeah. yeah. Um, There's some pleasure in that, you know, mm-hmm. certainly. I mean, I guess the previous ones that I had seen with, like, the crazy person, usually it's like, when will the police find out that this person is crazy? So at least there's that suspenseful aspect. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But you know they will. There's almost, unless you're watching something that you know the true story of, you know, like the Green River Killer or something, uh, you know the story's going to resolve itself in this person being punished and them being found out in some way. So Green it's more River, the Green River killing. I, mean, I don't know about that. Is it does it involve the soda? No. Oh. No, it was a notorious serial killer, which they did eventually make a a movie about with Noah Wiley. And a soda. Right. Well that's how he killed them. I see. He and made he, them drink Green River. I don't I don't trust Noah Wiley. Well who would? Yeah. Well he's in the librarian, which is a TV movie <laughs> set of TV movies I love. I don't know about this either. They're like action films. The first one was made for um, movies, <laughs> but then it ended up being um, a TV run movie. TNT bought it. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. all like, uh, Bob Newhart is in them and Jane Curtin. When I think action, I think Newhart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Kyle MacLachlan is in, the, oh, in it. Sure. D- does Jane Curtin uh, d- save the day by taking off her top and distracting <laughs> everyone? Jane Curtin and Bob Newhart are like the old librarians yeah, that like run okay. the library. It really should have been... Uh, Kate and Allie as the librarians, right? <laughs> Susan St. Thomas, was that her name? Right. Susan St. Thomas. St. James? St. James. Susan St. James, that's right. She's married to Dick Ebersol, that's right. Huh. Which is why she was on TV. Anyway, the librarian. Yeah, no, it's just, it's a great film. Um, but it's it's all about, like, it's basically a love story to a person with too many degrees who lives in oh, their yeah. parents' basement, because that is the scenario of Noah Wiley, and he is, like, he's got, like, eight degrees, and he gets a little letter in the mail that says, like, you have been asked to audition or interview for the librarian. And because he knows like every ancient language there is, mm-hmm. he wins. <laughs> <laughs> and then he has to like fight Kyle McLaughlin. It is at least a realistic premise in that he has a lot of degrees. In Kyle McLaughlin. Well, that makes it all better. Right. Yo, Peterson, heard you made all state. Thanks. The best freestyler in the whole damn state. You know what you need? A little bit of Monica. <laughs> I was looking at pornography. Is that what you guys want to hear? It's garbage, Justin. I don't want it in my house. What's happened to you? Kelly Lynch. Justin, you're addicted. You can't stop. Jeremy Sumter. Get the hell away from me. In a Lifetime original movie, Cyber Seduction. Premieres in three weeks, 9 p.m. Monday, June 20th. Only on Lifetime. Hey there. Welcome to the halfway point of episode number three of Jenny and Paul Sell Out. This is Paul, here to remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast at the iTunes Store. Please do us a favor and rate or review the program on iTunes. 
You can listen in your browser using Stitcher Radio at stitcher.com or using the Stitcher app on your mobile device. Convenient links are at our website, selloutpodcast.com. And while you're welcome to take notes, we're trying to make it easy on you. Go to selloutpodcast.com to find links and notes for most of our references, arcane and semi-obscure. Finally, we do want to hear your feedback. Leave a comment on our website or email us at jpsellout at gmail.com. Now back to our in-depth examination of Lifetime Movies with my brother Kyle. So I have a question. So I, here's the, uh, my brother and I, here, here's, here's where we split down the side. While I have uh, some education in cultural studies, I by and large rejected it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't reject it so much. I wasn't good at it. But uh, It rejected you. So I'm always asking. The, so to me, I'm like, so who owns Lifetime? Like, Because it, mm-hmm. it started out, I think, as, as it was independently owned. And I remember it in the 80s, it had a very feminist uh, sort of outlook. Yep, uh, they had these true. talk shows that were um, relatively edgy for the time, uh, you know, hosted by fairly uh, outspoken feminist women. Supermarket sweep. Yeah. And then there were things sweep. like, and then there were the things that were a bit more pandering. That's right. And advertiser driven, like Supermarket Suite. But it seems like shows like, you know, the, the Lifetime movies are uh, not terrifically feminist. But it seems oh. like they started that way. It seems like they started like, and, and yeah, you can say this, but there was that whole like, he raped my daughter. I'm going to fucking kill him. Mm-hmm. Well, they did start. Well, there's a couple things. Uh, it was independently run and owned, I believe, in the 1980s when it was started by women, as you say. Uh, they had a bunch of talk shows that were sort of oriented around the kind of working woman feminist kind of thing, right? You know, you can do it all sort of feminism. And the movies reflected that. They would almost always be stories of triumph uh, by women, like in the military. There One was a, woman's struggle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as cliche as it is, that's where that comes from. And they started to hit on the sort of true story aspect, and that really became the most popular thing they did. And that's why it's sort of become what it is now. They've kind of cut out syndicated shows for the most part. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and they had some – I was reading earlier today. They had some sort of uh, – shift like it used to be like lifetime for the the channel for women and it changed to like your story like their mm-hmm. slogan is now like story based exactly and it and and purposefully because it was successful because the t it happens at the same moment that the tv movie kind of goes away it's um, true you know, you're right television so in cable and, and these movies are all being produced in the same studios. These are independent studios, right? They're not being produced by the television stations themselves for the most part. Right. Same so, people who are producing uh, Octopus versus uh, Space Alien for sci-fi. Right. I mean, not necessarily, but sort of same Octopus. Same type. Octopus versus, you know, Jane Curtin. <laughs> and they – so they're buying the movies from the producers rather than making them themselves. And now they sort of – Lifetime just makes the movies themselves. So I was on their site today, and it's actually – it's the Lifetime – like because Lifetime movies have their own channel too now. Yep. Um, and the site is is insane, and it's it's um, it has a huge game section, like a gaming section, which I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> um, and it's all like it's all like flash games. Is uh, he a rapist? <laughs> no, it's, it's sadly not related. <laughs> I, I like I like angry wives. That's yeah, my exactly. Favorite. That would be great. <laughs> what did this husband do wrong? Yeah, exactly. It's not like that at all. It's like it's like Poggle. And, uh, you know, like uh, Angry Birds. Yeah. Ajong, dress up games. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. Ash games. They're not really feminine. It's more like Bejeweled. 
Mm-hmm. Like right. clearly they just contracted with someone to have games, but it's it's <laughs> a huge part of their site. Like it's their so I, that was interesting to me, and I, it made me wonder. Like, do you know anything about who they're aimed at or what what you know what the viewership is? No, I don't, and, and they're really secretive about it. I can uh, imagine. I contacted them trying to get a list of uh, just a list of the movies and when they who made them and when they came out, so I wouldn't have to do all that work <laughs> on IMDb. Because again, for for large part, whatever this station started in the late or uh, mid '80s to sort of the late '90s, they weren't even making their own movies, so it was hard to find out what actually aired on Lifetime without going and reading TV Guide. Uh, and they were completely unhelpful. They wanted no. They had no interest in anyone using any of this stuff for an academic purpose, basically. So I don't really know who watches it uh, or why. Well, I do know they and on their site there was a store, and you could buy like a five DVD set of a bunch of their movies. Like that, it wasn't like oh, buy all of our movies that are of this type or buy them. I mean, I think you can buy them sing- singularly as well. But mm-hmm. it was very like a five pack of our movies from the eighties or a five pack of our movies from the nineties. Like it doesn't matter. Kind of like how porn is marketed, actually. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the idea that like oh, it doesn't really matter the flavor. Like let's just get a, a big pack and I'll like one of them. It's also how they make, how they market Mexican movies. <laughs> It's true, yeah, or like Indian movies too. Um, so well, I, it claims to be the highest rated network among women. I mean, and that's such a difficult thing to discern. And maybe cable network is the distinction, uh, actually. Mm, I'm sure it like, is. Well, yeah, versus Oxygen or O or something. <clears throat> right, exactly. But, uh, and who've copied the model, right? They they basically function almost the same way. Uh, Oprah's tried to change it a bit and to be more straightforwardly educational, but not successfully. Right, exactly. Well, and I would say. <laughs> Lifetime. I would say Oxygen attempts for a like hipper, probably more city audience, and just that mm-hmm. like Chelsea Handler used to be on Oxygen, and they have um, like they had they have some they have like erotica programs that are not very softcore. What? Yeah, I oh. mean, I heard from a friend. That they have erotica <laughs> wait, 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 wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of erotica are we getting? I, I, I don't know this. <laughs> it's like this. It's like Skidamax style, but it's it's. They had some TV show, um, and like every, it was kind of like Red Shoe Diaries. Like every week, it would be a different mm-hmm. story. But it just definitely seems far more, uh, and like girls behaving badly and that sort of stuff. It seems a little bit more, I don't know, hip and less suburban to me. I, and that might not be as true anymore. But, um, like there, well, I, I wonder if like if it was five years ago that new uh, Fifty Shades of Grey book. I'm sure you guys have probably heard about, yeah. right? Mm-hmm best-selling kinky sex book for uh, moms. moms. I, if, it, if it had been five years ago, that would not be made into a Hollywood movie. That would be a Lifetime movie in a second. And it would probably be the highest-rated Lifetime movie in a second. Today, they're actually, they're really, as far as last I read, anyway, they're actually turning it into a movie for theaters, figuring they wow. can capitalize. Um, but would it, if the Lifetime movie, wouldn't have it ended with like the person uh, learning the error of their ways? Well, that's exactly it. It wouldn't be, I, I haven't read the book, but my assumption is that it's, Probably relatively poorly written, but fairly kinky. Along yeah, the same- I mean, I guess the <clears> summary <throat> I've heard. I mean, it's based on it's based on Twilight, um, and it's like a twenty-something journalist goes to this twenty-something billionaire's house to interview him, and it turns out he uh, the first woman he slept with was an older lady who like mm. uh, dominated him. So now he's like obsessed with dominating other people, and he basically like though she is a virgin, he like starts up a relationship with her and dominates her and she loves it. Huh. 
So that's it's seems... interesting that he enjoyed like being with that woman, but what he got from that is that he wants to be in control, not be dominated. Well, I don't think it's interesting. <laughs> I think it's basically factually bizarre, and right. someone what, what, what... who knows anything about BDSM would not right not right that so it's pretty been lifetimed up before it even made it to lifetime (laughs) yeah that part is very weird but i don't think i think in lifetime it would be like oh he was in an asylum for that that dirty dirty thing that he did and now we're all good you know like it would make it better because it you know he's crazy but Uh, now he's okay and they can have like a loving relationship yeah exactly well they should go on the late night uh oh network sure uh, during uh, Stedman's bedtime stories. Sure. <laughs> so I, I would like to talk to you about uh, Left Behind because that's something I know. <laughs> oh, about. We, need, we need to resolve one thing okay, before we go, go to ahead. Left Behind. And so, I have one thing before that too. Okay. So, so who owns Lifetime now? They own their they own or are owned by the sort of A and E networks. Okay. Yeah, A and E networks. Yeah. Lifetime History Bio Lifetime Movie Network. I'm shocked that uh, I didn't know I was pregnant was not on Lifetime because that seems so Lifetime. No, it's a lot of competition for that reality um, show <laughs> Surprise dollar. you're pregnant uh, Yeah, dollar. exactly. With like True TV, which was formerly Court TV, which just tells you how much people care about the legal system. Um, <laughs> they would much rather watch people accidentally have a baby while or working. Or kill each other. Wapner, yeah. Wapner cries. Yeah. Uh, I just want to point out that Noah Wiley was not in the Green River Killer movie. It was Tom Cavanaugh of TV's <laughs> Tom Cavanaugh. I don't want any nerds contacting me. Who, yeah. who is Tom Cavanaugh? He is a blue-eyed fellow who was on Edge. Um, he does a podcast with Michael Ian Black. <laughs> oh, Bob and Tom, or he, that Michael and Tom eat snacks. Is that there? Right. Yes. Yeah, it's good. Mm, they eat snacks. snacks. It's delightful. We need to get yeah, some and he's snacks. actually a really funny actor. Um, okay, so. and making some money on the side in the uh, Lifetime movie business. Yeah, and more he's power been, to him. And he was on a sitcom for three or four years. So he's <laughs> A decent amount of money doing that. Yeah, I would say that the one I watched today, it was 2006, and uh, the star, because I feel like they always have like a star, mm-hmm. is uh, was Charisma Chandler? Carpenter. Or Carpenter, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Who was no, on right. Buffy uh, at the time. So I feel like it was very contemporaneous to something. She, like, she didn't really need to be in that movie. So I, mm-hmm. I wonder how much those people are getting paid. A lot. Yeah, I uh, would imagine like a ton of money. And Enough. it functions the same way on those sci-fi movies. That's right. why they almost always have one relatively known person in them. But here's the can... question. And the residuals are probably pretty good. I bet, yeah. And you're not going to like degrade the, you know, the uh, the star power of Charisma Carpenter by being on Lifetime. You know what I mean? It's not right. like hurting the Charisma brand. But Tom Cavanaugh. And here's that a, cl- was a serious movie that was more like a <laughs> true <laughs> fact movie rather than this sort of blandly based on fact right. so but my question is why has adam scott not been in all of these movies because he's in every one of those horrible sci-fi movies i don't know adam scott who is he's this famous now yeah he's famous now he's on parks and rec and he was also in piranha 3d oh. and, and he's, he's, he's on party down. Stepners, party down yeah he has a lot he's of literally things. in everything <laughs> He's, he's really in, good. Yeah, he's well, going to wear it out while the getting's good. He's great, but he would have. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he, if you just gave money and asked him to come to your children's birthday party, he would come. He's like a poor man's John Hamm. Yeah, he's he totally attractive. is. He's attractive. <laughs> he's funny, but he basically will not get all the roles that John Hamm gets. Right. He should be hosting Saturday Night Live. He's that funny, but yeah, he's hilarious. He's probably on my favorite episode of uh, Comedy Bang Bang Paul, the podcast. Okay. No, we'll say that. Well, we'll say that for our our meta podcasting episode in the future. <laughs> We're going to talk about podcasting because nobody does. It's Somebody's got to talk about it. But, but we'll, we'll we'll get back to uh, the more the more important issue. But uh, just following up on the political economy question. Oh right, I'm trying to figure out. So I wonder if the uh, the nature of lifetime and the in the 
and the emergence of the movie network are coincident with the ownership changes? Uh, I believe so. I, I have to look. Uh, let me. I can, I can look. I just had it a second ago. I'm sorry. Because I, I was curious myself about when and why this consolidation happened and when the shift in sort of content moved much more towards a, a measurable uh, audience rather right. than right. sort of Jenny's point about <laughs> political programming in the broad sense of like, we're here to help women be right. better, not we're here to warn them about everything that can hurt them and also get big ratings, by the way. Being, well, being more interested in a demographic rather than in, in a particular purpose. Or like a 24-hour news cycle because it seems like a lot of the scary part of this is based off of that idea. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, it needs that to function exactly right. exactly um and i think uh not to get too much on this point but my my area of study being being the insane clown posse that is totally their rap too is like being crazy makes you punk rock like essentially mm-hmm. because being crazy in the suburbs and, and taking like drugs for your mental issues is totally frightening to everyone from the suburbs so it's it's interesting i think there's like a lot of things that um kind of dovetail at that time period yeah, and, I, and that's ultimately the point like I'm trying to make is that all these things are organized around threats and controlling threats. So they might be spatial, they might be moral, but the way we understand the suburb is fundamentally through that idea, is that we think of it as a place that's almost always imperiled in some way and allows people there to have some sort of power, you know, whatever it might be. Like I use the example of arcades. That's why arcades disappear. It becomes, like, become this place that is associated with drinking and teen danger and all these kinds of other maladies uh, and they're sort of erased, you know, through town ordinances. It's where the whatever. teens are always abducted, isn't the arcade? Right. They're either either they're troubling because they're dangerous, or they're in trouble because of these other people who might be there. Is there any? I mean, that you know of? Is there are any of these movies about uh, men picking up boys? Because it seems like all of them are like about girls being kidnapped. Um, I don't know. I I know there have been there was like famous TV movies, especially in the eighties. Again, when kidnapping was sort of more visible. Uh, right. As a crime, although it was no more prevalent than it had ever been. Um, well, Adam Scott. I'm sorry, not Adam Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Adam, Adam Scott was kidnapped. <laughs> Adam Walsh. It's like how he's wanna... overcome it. That's a lifetime movie. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is delightful. The poor man's John Hamm. Adam... <laughs> <laughs> Every, everybody wants him. Like... Some only one woman can have him. <laughs> but it seems like it's it's like teacher on young boy or uh, man on woman or girl but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of that sort of um chris hansen man on man or man on boy there's very little of that yeah Uh, and i and my assumption again is that it's it's a it's a difficult topic politically right Right. because they don't want to cause controversy in a bad way uh or, or have to take a side ultimately i think in sexual politics right they want to they want to be as sort of heteronormative as possible because it's easier so they're not gonna you know have a movie about uh lesbians molesting other lesbians because they don't want to upset lesbians but they also don't want to like bring up the issue of like is it okay or are they born that way like all those things that are really sticky no pun intended <laughs> that don't want to try to deal with and, uh, and in some ways it's kind of rote at this point that i, I don't right. think want to do the the, the lily coach who abuses uh his players i, I don't think it's relevant anymore right. Right. if that makes any sense um yeah i i guess i i didn't Add about flirting with danger. The reason why this woman kills all these dudes with the weird uh, serum of some sort mm-hmm. um, is that her dad was going to walk out on her mom and join some other family, so she pushed him down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> and so since then, she uh, anyone she gets close to, she murders. Men, men leave. 
yeah. <laughs> that's that's her point is that you'll never leave me mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i think you actually hit on one other thing that's really sort of consistent is this very simple psychological and understanding of psychology a sort of mechanistic thing that if this happens to you then this will happen to you and this is the result right mm-hmm. like so you were abused then you're either going to be abused or abuse yourself and then you're gonna have to overcome it in some way right it's like the Disney movie I saw where the uh, family uh, shooed the dog with uh, with a broom. And then later on, uh, the dog became imperiled because he got away and someone had a broom and he freaked out and fell into a river. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly the same thing. Right. right. <laughs> uh, oh, I forget. There was something else I was going to say, but I forgot. So, Well, Left Behind. Yeah, I love Left Behind. <clears throat> the connection from the, 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 the line... Not including the Cameron family necessarily, but right. uh, inclusive of, I guess. That doesn't make any sense. Well, it's based in the Chicago <laughs> suburbs. Oh, is it really? I've watched many of them. Is, yeah. yeah. Which, which which suburbs? Um, it's right where there's. It's like Ar- uh, Arlington Heights to Park Ridge area. Yes, yeah. of course. Because there's an airport there, and one of the main characters is a pilot. Uh-huh. Yeah, but there are always these men who are these traditional alpha mass- careers. Yeah, absolutely. They're never like. You know, professors or you know anything <laughs> soft. To be fair, how many professors do you know who would not be left behind? Mm, that is a small number. <laughs> yeah, Wheaton College. Yeah, exactly. They won't be left behind. Um, so yeah, what is your connection between these two things? Uh, well, I think one is the, uh, and I think in some ways what Paul is getting to, like the political economy of it is the structure of the way it's distributed and the audiences it's for is very particular, uh, and it is about making money ultimately, and this like small but relatively lucrative audience so it has like in the same way that hollywood set up to be to make to be efficient right not to tell the best stories but to tell those stories in the most efficient way to make the most money and so i think all of the left behind slash sort of uh kirk cameron led movies do that uh, and i think they take their structure pretty much directly from television movies and lifetime movies well, I mean, I've read the first 13 of the books. <laughs> it must have been a hell of an afternoon. I just dipped my foot in. You and, know. Uh, well, they were supposed to end at that point, but then they broke off into like several different arenas. How many, was... wait, uh, how many second comings can there be? Well, it's it's sort of, it's in, I mean, that part is kind of cool because the, so the first five books are like about, I mean, there's very specific parts of the apocalypse. And then after about five or six books, they're actually living in the end times. So it, a lot of it is about, sort of apocalyptic living and like how do we find a safe house what do we do so that part's sort of interesting and it takes place you know that sounds like a, a lifetime show like <laughs> apocalyptic living with candace cameron there, <laughs> there is one actually there was a reality show about living in like la after the apocalypse it's like the day after and after well, and after there's also that new show about um what is it called oh it's like doomsday oh shit but about people who essentially build new bomb shelters in suburbs because they're waiting for the apocalypse. Oh, awesome. That's and it's a reality terrifying. show. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, but it shows you how real people feel. The, and that's sort of what I'm always trying to get at is like, the threat. That even though these are cultural things, right, that and, and in some ways they're comical or, or overwrought, people take them as real threats and, and they understand their world to be imperiled in all of these ways. So it's not just that there is molesters, but it's that your doctor's going to inseminate you when you're under, that, you know, there's going to be <laughs> another 9 11 in, in, uh, the middle of Illinois, you know, all these things that seem highly ridiculous are, are treated in some ways real because of the preponderance of the evidence. I would love to see the news source that most people who watch Lifetime movies are getting their news from. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, that is interesting, actually. I, don't, I, would, I would be curious to know as well. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like very the Glenn Beck school of everything. It does, except. By gold. <laughs> 
Except they, <laughs> right. remember they kicked Glenn Beck off of Fox. In right. fact, they they sort of backed away from the Doomsday, mm-hmm. uh, and I think otherwise, aside from Glenn Beck, the rest of like say the Fox News roster isn't particularly friendly. But I would say Nancy Grace. Oh, yeah, over on, on, on headline news, I, okay. I, I see that I, it now only in this conversation does it become clear to me sort of what is probably the CNN strategy with headline news is, is to create sort of that demographically uh, very desirable audience. It can't possibly compete with, say, Fox in terms of numbers, but probably can definitely be the place you switch to from Lifetime Movie Network in order to catch up on what's going on. Yeah, and it, and it's and it really grows out of tabloid, you know, what we used to call tabloid journalism. I don't think that really even applies to the term anymore, except for maybe your sort of TMZ slash National Enquirer. Um, but I think we would have once called headline or much of what headline news puts on tabloid, right? Like a right. current affair, like a current that, affair, that, that kind of thing, right? And it's again, it's almost always around that idea of the unknown threat that you need to know about, right? Because uh, Fox is too chess beating. Most of the time, I think, and that and it's not going to be yeah. as appealing. That might be what your husband watches. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Right. And is how you define yourself in it's opposition to ladies. your husband. It's not for the ladies. On, on the television set in your kitchen. And it does get back to certain ideas of truth, right? That we're uncovering that one things are hidden from us by some sort of power structure, right? So for Fox, it's the liberal media elite intellectuals, but I think for like Nancy Grace, is that she has a real distrust of institutions in some way, and that they're always hiding the truth around something. And in hiding that truth is going to hurt white women. Right. Um, well, she made her name on, I forget the woman's name, but the, the girl who went missing in the Caribbean. That's oh, no, no. It. Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway, I think, is when well, she first. Well, I know first... a lot about white ladies who go missing. Yeah. Well, and, and that was, you know, in much of the, at least in the media, media sort of criticism uh, universe, you know, much of the, the criticism was, you know, she was putting, you know, hours and hours and hours, night after night after night after the, of airtime about this girl who went missing in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. you know, primarily, obviously, because she was middle class and white, because right. absolutely no, you know, similar types of coverage about, say, what was hap- what has been happening in Ciudad Juarez in northern right. Mexico or in the border regions there, well, and there where women a- are going missing left and right there is or a people lifetime are going movie. missing yeah yeah <laughs> there is a lifetime movie about natalie holloway of course yeah, there of is. course um so i guess my question is like i think this existed uh, the corollary i'm thinking about is those true romance magazines or like true story mm-hmm. um which are like s- supposedly people write in and they say like i mean the most distinctly horrifying one i used to have a subscription most distinctly oh, they're still in print they're still in print they, oh, you can still get them and i for a while, I thought like this would be a really easy way to write stories quickly for money because you get paid like a hundred dollars per story, and mm-hmm. they're like two pages long, and they're always like, "I know it's wrong to, to to have sex with my boss at work, but I cannot I cannot get away from it." Or and but sometimes they have like really creepy moral overtones. Like there was one that was about incest that was really horrifying, and there are these stories that are are packaged in this magazine. Um, with a glossy cover, and then the ads are all for religious stuff and those really frightening preemie babies uh, uh, dolls. So basically like the parade magazine ads. No, like m- far more conservative, okay. like Afghans, comfortable pants for your grandma. Um, but like, yeah, a lot of children oriented, like I'm a mother, I'm I'm mother, you know, I don't have a child and... I would like a fetus baby <laughs> and I would like a sweater for my dog. Like clearly very 
I mean, what I think. A sweater we w- for my fetus baby. <laughs> exactly. Or a sweater for your dog that has your fetus on it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, clearly what we would think. I mean, I think when you say, oh, women watching Lifetime, I think everyone conjures like a lady in sweats by herself. You know, alone. Pajama jeans. Yeah, pajama jeans alone. I, Lifetime conjures that image. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think so. I mean, I wonder, is there anything through those ads that you the ads that these that run during these movies that you sort of can glean? About you that know, audience, I don't. It's 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 the right question to ask. I don't actually know. Um, I, as I said, <laughs> I haven't had a chance. Like get, finding out what they actually are. Uh-huh. I was trying to get some sort of broad idea of okay, how how many are there? How can we divide them sort of by subject? And then figuring out which ones were the relevant ones to watch. Right. But I think and you've also hit on something that cultural studies does not do well, sort of in the academic format, which is account for use in a way that's realistic um, about sort of commercials like how people actually watch tv so it's not just that the lifetime movie is about this thing but that they're being courted in a way as an audience uh that might tell us something sure and i don't and i don't actually know so i'm saying i fall down on that point but it is a good question well, and I, incredibly hard to to do I to did, watch things in their native environment right yeah and i did read earlier that um lifetime the lifetime movie channel doesn't have like you know at, at two in the morning on most channels it's like it's like infomercials yeah um they don't have that they don't have they just run the movies all the time Hmm. and i think that's a really interesting choice too like i bet you they have a lot of lot of commercials for the uh for the midwest center for stress and anxiety (laughs) probably yeah and and like the things you might imagine i'm sure on there too like you know time saving the same nonsense that's cheap to run on mtv or anything else right um yeah i I don't know i would like to know it's a good question but I wonder if there are those political element commercials of sort of like the buy gold or the, you know, uh, sell your gold even. Uh, yeah, it might be more on, on the sell your gold than the buy gold right. uh, uh, demographic. I don't know, because you can afford cable, which like it seems like those sell your gold things are only on like channels that show cops <laughs> that are only on hours the, a day. Yeah. On uh, broadcast. Right. Yeah. Well, I, but I, they show those things, too, like cops reruns end up on the Lifetime Network, I true. believe. Um, yeah, America's right. Most Wanted is now on Lifetime. Well, that makes sense. It's about kidnapping children. Oh, yeah. No, I, I make that exact explicit argument. <laughs> <in what laughs> uh, not everyone buys it, but I do think there's a connection because it's hosted by John Walsh, whose son yeah. is Adam Walsh, of course. Right. But also that it, it imagines this world that is just suffused with criminals and that you might see one. <laughs> and so when you start to imagine that kind of landscape, it, it creates a certain kind of fear about public space and about, yeah, and again, particularly about women and their sort of victimhood when you, you place it on Lifetime. Well, oh. John Walsh, I was just recently reading about him that he, like, for a while, like, made very open comments about how much he just wanted to kill criminals. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, and, and it's such a... It solves a lot of problems. Thing. Right. Well, it's kind of a restrained vigilantism, right? That you're participating in catching a criminal without actually doing the catching, right? So it's somewhere between... By sitting around and watching work. TV, you... Exactly. Yeah. But you're not... Clint Eastwood either, right? You're not Dirty Harry actually writing wrongs. How could there be reruns of America's Most Wanted when some of those <laughs> if people... I think they, they run ones where they're still actually at large. Yeah, they, t- they try to... Oh, they, they edit it? Down. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. Because <laughs> it's like, that must suck. I mean, it's just like how, you know, they're going to run, you know, you've heard that Car Talk, that uh, Click and Clack are going to end Sure. their participation when they keep running it because you know 76 volvo with a bad radiator is a 76 volvo with a bad radiator sure but i mean on the episodes there's people who've been caught and i see like right. them yeah, getting phone calls like i found yeah, you so just recom- you just recombine it it'll just stick it in the right. uh random number generator and pull out a couple of criminals 
edit that um, shit together. Well, it's funny you mentioned, and I heard Jenny mention Jesse Thorne on one of the previous episodes, or perhaps both. He talks a lot about how even the current version of Car Talk is completely, you know, manufactured. Oh, right? yeah. It's not one simultaneous session of call is, but just and then they put in the fake laughs. Like, they don't actually laugh. They have a button for the laughs. <laughs> Um, so the idea that they're going away is going to make any difference. I think is kind of. Oh, I've got I've got a whole I've got a whole rant on car top. I'll I just say that for another episode. Yeah. yeah, but I've got a, I've got a rant. I come in from the political economic standpoint. Okay. I'm going to take it not just from That's the it's a it's a shitty show, but um, uh, I'll, I I'll put it in place. Called Lifetime commercials, 1995. Now I don't know <laughs> whether this is Lifetime television. I don't know. I I bet there's a lot of Activia yogurt commercials. Yes, I think that's probably right. But this is from 1995. Yeah, that's why sure. I'm fascinated by this. I'm this sorry. is before we, we ever understood about probiotics. Sure. <laughs> about our need to shit regularly. That's probably like well, the We last... knew about that. We just thought you had to take X-lax. <laughs> we we shit regularly? <laughs> I didn't Wait know that. Um, hand lotion, cars, hand lotion, perfume. Can we get that for the show notes? Can you please send that to us? Yeah, please. Okay, sure. Sorry, I was like skimming through it. That's okay. Entertaining me no end. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the last time I watched Lifetime was like when my parents had cable. Hmm. Oh, and nominated for 12 Cable Ace Awards. So it tells you how old that is. Wow. Television for women. Um, I want to go back. You had asked earlier, are there any sort of uh, marginal or sort of reverse uh, gender situations? Uh-huh. And there's one famous one. It may have been a TV movie that then replayed on Lifetime, but with Roy Scheider, where Roy Scheider is raped by another man. Huh. And no one believes him. <laughs> and, of course, and of course, the beginning of the movie is he's a this cop. Is, this is not the Jaws, Roy, Roy Scheider. Uh, I don't believe so. Although it may be the same character. I don't know. Well, wait, they don't believe him because they think he's just gay or they don't believe no. him? Oh. So what happens is he starts the movie as a cop. This is my recollection, so I'm not 100% sure. sure. Oh, Roy Scheider from New Jersey. Um, and he has a woman come in who claims she's been raped. And he's like, oh, it's all bullshit. You're always crying rape. This is just anti-man nonsense. You know, he's like that guy. And then, you know, cut to he's in a dark alley getting raped. <laughs> by wow. a dude. When is this from? Wow. The 80s. I still remember it. I mean, so I this is when it was Lifetime really for women. When shit got real. And we're going to show oh, yeah. you, you know, you men put, you know, diminish us at your own peril. Well, that is sort of my recollection of Lifetime is sort of those sorts of stories. Like someone got raped. But they're gonna fucking kill that guy. But they, that right. was like all those horror movies in the eighties, where all right. these like rape, uh, revenge stories. Exactly. Uh, and they come out of the vigilante genre of the seventies, essentially, like the, you know, Death Wish and Dirty yeah, Charles Bronson. But there's a million other ones that are just even way like are terrible. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out what this movie is, it's killing me. But I wonder if it's in waves or something, like with the political situation, like because I mean, I I think we can't really get away. From that that idea that your husband watches Fox News because we're all imperiled by the i you know by the political situation and the economic situation, mm-hmm. and you know you you gotta lock your doors in the suburbs now. Although when did you not lock your doors? Well, that's but that it, that's exactly it though. It plays off this myth that there was a time when this wasn't the case, right? right? That from nineteen you know forty six to nineteen seventy five, roughly. We kids could ride their bikes. We never locked our doors. No one ever got murdered or raped or hit or beat up by their husband. Like these things just were essentially not happening. And at the cultural level, they're not right. They're invisible. Most of our images of the suburbs are not those things. Um, it, it, it's particularly things like molestation and kidnapping. Uh, it's very it's very hush hush. Uh, even though they, we know that it's happening or was happening, and then they have this sort of shift towards 
all these images of crime and crime sort of in the legal sense, but crime also in the moral sense to create this sense of uh, being, you know, I call the, the book is called um, Suburb, uh, Under Siege and Suburban Crisis in American Suburbs. And it really is about being under siege, this idea that's constant all the time and from all these directions uh, and that it's new in some way. I don't know if that answers your question. Well, but. I wonder if, um, like, the reality shows that are sort of very popular now, like the sort of hoarders and uh, addiction especially, like the idea of people talking openly about being molested and then, mm -hmm. like, getting through it. I wonder if that's going to change the, the genre at all because, like, it's not about just going and killing the guy who raped you or in these cases, like, uh, you know, because it's more moralistic about about your relationship i wonder if overcoming if, your own weaknesses right it's like overcoming your own weaknesses in in these reality shows are like getting good therapy well it, it's funny my friend julie who writes about disability and media and she she often thinks that all these narratives are framed as narratives of overcoming and they're all based on a sort of an idea of disability that could be fixed and so whatever it is, you're always in the process of overcoming, and that's sort of what makes it okay for to traffic culturally. So I don't think that's ever going to go away. But I think you're right. There may be much more of an acceptance of a complex psychology that goes into it, that we may start to humanize abusers and abusees in a way, because we know more about like why it happens, or at least we have some better idea, rather than simply being, well, we killed that guy, so everything's okay now. Right, and the idea of like you don't just get sent to the asylum because some someone in your family dies when you're five. Right, yeah, right. That, <laughs> you become a murderer yourself. Yeah, exactly. okay, so I was wrong. It wasn't Roy Scheider. It was his uh, 80s doppelganger, Richard Crenna. Oh, Richard Crenna. And so the plot summary is The Rape of Richard Beck, 1985. Hmm. So is it based on a true story? Uh, it doesn't say it is, but I will check. But Richard Crenna, much more, uh, he did a lot more TV movie work. Right. So right. do people not believe him because they're just like, men don't get raped? Well, that's yeah, that's that's exactly right. And he doesn't believe people get raped. He thinks rape victims, quote unquote, bring it upon themselves to be raped. Um, but he himself is raped by a couple of white trash felons, one of whom actually says he's going to make him squeal like a pig. <laughs> that's awesome. You know who plays his wife? That that guy who the guy who wrote that script was high oh, no, as fucking hell. <laughs> the the woman who plays the the original person who says she's raped is Meredith Baxter Burney. Wow. Oh, of course. When Meredith Baxter Burney and Richard Crenna, I think, might have been in like a short lived sitcom in the early 80s. Well, that's how he got to Maybe. Play. I'm. I'm, I'm I, I, <laughs> yeah, you got to like, I know this guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who knew? All right. Well, we are. We, we've hit about an hour here. I think we've. Uh, I mean, we've not done adequate service to the Lifetime Movie Network, nor Left Behind. <laughs> no, and I, I do have one thing to say about Left yeah. Behind. Okay. Is, Beyond what Jenny's already said, which I think is right, um, and I know actually a, a colleague of, or a person who's on my dissertation committee, I know I keep talking about this, and I hate to be that guy dropping names, but she's actually working on sort of the evangelical movement and culture, and one of, she has a long thing about what the Left Behind movies mean. Um, but there's actually the one that's more interesting to me is Fireproof. Have you seen that, Jenny? No, it's, it's well, it's the one that came out in movie theaters all on the same day or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it made $33 million. Wow. And it only cost... Five hundred thousand dollars to make. Why don't you explain it? Um, it's a, it's a, based on another one of these novels, uh, I believe. I don't think it's just a movie. I could be wrong. Um, but Kirk Cameron plays a fireman, <laughs> shocker, in <and> fireproof. <laughs> <laughs> 
he plays an asbestos manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> Fighting against the wrongs of the uh, of, of the uh, legal industry exactly. and, 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 and uh, the insurance industry. Right. <laughs> oh, God, I would watch that movie. <laughs> no, this one's actually great. Uh, I, I've watched it fairly recently within the last couple of months because uh, it pops up a lot uh, in Lifetime. So he's established as this like firefighter who always, you know, put himself on the line for his partners and all this stuff. But his but his marriage is just falling apart, and so it's essentially the story of how he puts his marriage back together. D- does his wife play his wife? Uh, I don't believe so. Because I saw something about how he won't kiss anyone except for his wife. Oh, really? Yeah. So like, anytime they, make... I think he just finger banged this woman. So it's... <laughs> that's okay. He's fine with that. Uh, yeah, he leaves room with, for Jesus. With the fireman, <laughs> with the fireman gloves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, if, not, as long as there's room for the Holy Spirit, he's okay with that. But um, I, no, I, I saw some interview with him where he talked about how he, it was. Oh, I know what it was. It was on uh, 17 and counting or whatever number they're up to on that show. Okay. Um, do you know the show I'm talking about? Oh, I have. I know some stuff about that too. But go ahead. <laughs> no, we have to talk. We have to have an evangelical episode. But um. So they visit him on his on the set of Fireproof, I believe, and um, oh, awesome. and he's like, "Oh yeah, I won't kiss any woman that's not my wife." And there was so they had to like figure out how to do that. I don't know. So yeah, you know, I, I kind of think I don't remember there being any love scenes, but the, but the central premise is that he agrees to a forty day test where he has to do all these things to prove his love to his wife. So like make her dinner, not get mad at her, right? Like some things that seem like reasonable things to do in a marriage, and then others that are sort of much more explicitly Christian. Um, and this is from his father who tells him to do these things. He's written them down for him in a book. In like it's a voiceover sad. or like a real dad? No, in, in the movie. Like he, they walk out in the woods and he tells his dad, like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's terrible acting. Is Dude. his dad Dr. Gray? Is it... Dr. Gray? <laughs> isn't, isn't he the uh, matter for Mars, woman for Venus? Oh. oh I was like. I thought it was some elaborate sort of metaphor there that I didn't understand. No, uh, I don't. <laughs> no, that's, way be- that's way beyond me. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Is uh, Professor X his father? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Xavier. Again, I wish. I can't remember the guy's name, uh, but he, he's a, he, he has he's, a doctorate. Anyway, so, so he gets these rules from his dad. Yeah, and he follows them, and of course, eventually, he gets back together with his wife. Um, I think they actually renew their vows. Yeah, they do. They renew their wedding vows. And does, not- does he, like, walk on coals or uh, hot coals or something like that? No, there's no like explicit sort of crazy nonsense speaking in tongues, any of that kind of thing. So the message being like you should really make your marriage work, right? Yeah, and he convinces her that he wants to be with her because he sells his boat or no, his boat savings to give her to get her a medical procedure. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, her mother's medical procedure. Right. Okay. I was like, really? Otherwise he was just gonna get a boat and say being yeah, on the well, open seas will heal all that's wrong with you, dear. <laughs> get out his pussy net and catch a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like because that's not really a Christian thing. I, I think that you should really pay for your wife's medical procedure. I mean, unless it's like a boob job. At what point? <laughs> at what point does Boner make make a cameo? That's what yeah, I want to know. Dead. Sylvester Stallone. Uh-huh. He's so dead. Yeah, yeah, he committed suicide. It was like really tragic. How well, do I not know this? Well, in the podcast universe, he uh, he worked on Never Not Funny uh, with Jimmy Pardo, which is one of my favorites. Yeah, it was really sad. He kind of just uh, he, apparently he'd been really depressed, and he. Went to Vancouver, went in the woods and killed himself. Yeah, and he didn't tell anyone he was missing. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, yeah. Where's Kirk Cameron when he needed him? Yeah, seriously. He right. I mean, in, in all honesty, like, he, he used to talk about how he really didn't like any of the people on the show. <laughs> Except for Alan Thicke. I, I guess yeah. Alan Well, everyone loves Alan Thicke. Yeah. Well, Thicke of the Night could be another episode for sure. Right. And that was on Lifetime, wasn't it? 
Oh God, I don't know. I will look. I, 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 I'm, I'm, podcast so people don't look things up. So I'm so, gonna look. But I think the. I mean, I think the reason why a part of the reason why it made so much money was the idea. And I think this is a really awesome strategy to get people to actually go to media in theaters. Was that they they released it for one day in every, in every city or you know wherever, and you ha- that was the only day and time you could see the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, Christian movies seem to be doing this. It seems to be fairly popular um, because they probably can only they. I mean, I think they rent out the theater. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. They buy right. the tickets ahead of time, and then church groups they bust themselves in, et cetera. And they, and they make shitloads of money on the DVDs and the theatrical releases themselves. Like right, because your church group needs to buy the DVD and show it to everyone. And it's a theory, and it's like a sort of underlying theory of evangelical Christian culture that's sort of emerged since the 70s, is that instead of staying outside of culture, they're going to create their own competitive culture. They're going to create an environment with products. It's the same thing with Christian Metal, Paul, like to compete rather than to just mm-hmm. simply seed ground to you know liberal pornographic culture, they're going to say. No, we actually were going to provide family-friendly, moralistic messages in those same forms. Well, and I think more, uh, more specifically, uh, make sure that everyone we do it at one time, and everyone puts this on their calendar, and we mobilize everyone to do it all at once, and their yeah. community enforces that. And then, and then they make a butt ton of money. Yeah. And it's big, but then it's supposed to be bigger than the content of the thing, right? That right. Just by going on that day, you're showing how visible you are, how many numbers, you know, whatever. Um, we will not be left behind. You're occupying yep. theaters. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm sure they would not use that. Uh, <laughs> I know they would not. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it's an actually like I think that's a a way that you could actually use to make political change, which only Christians are using, sadly. Yeah, they're they're really savvy with media and with and mobilization. Uh, I mean, it helps when the thing that you're sort of mobilizing is a thing that indoctrinates people already. You know what I mean? A lot of the work has been done before you get to the making the movies <laughs> to get people to go see them. It's like, Oh, we've already been you had drilled in you for 20 or 30 years. Well, but, and I think like, uh, red state, Kevin Smith sort of did that with red state where it was like, it's going to play for one night in your town, mm-hmm. you know, when it first came out. Um, I mean, I think only people who have a ton of money already could probably do this model because you have to, right, you'd have, to get to some way to, well, you have to just basically be able to demonstrate to the distributor or the theater owner, whoever, whatever level you're working at, that they are going to, that they're going to sell out. I mean, no one's going to turn down your money. You just have to you just have to demonstrate to them that it's actually going to come. Well, this American Life did it too, I think. Yeah, and I think they've all foresaw a sort of the internet culture in a way, like niche culture becoming profitable, mm-hmm. uh, sort of widespread for every or for many sort of niche things. And I'm using niche advisedly. Like I realize that some of these are wildly popular, but that they don't make up enough to be on network television or to open a movie, you know, on. Fourth of July weekend or something. So your next book is Kirk Cameron's Long Tail. <laughs> you know, it's not wrong, I, and I, I doubt that he's the genius behind it. It's but, not uh, through evolution, though. <laughs> it is. It is intelligent it is design. God's choice. It is intelligent design. All right. <laughs> well, so Kyle, uh, do you have any uh, internet presence you wish to alert uh, our dozen listeners to? <laughs> um, I'm 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 always leery of this because I have students. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Sending them my way in forms that are not uh, approved that I know about. Uh, is not you need to be all out there. Well, so, but you have, uh, you can, we can Google, you, people can Google your name. Yeah, but I took my name off my Twitter uh, for that. Okay. Well, if you don't want to reveal a Twitter, you need, you need to get yourself uh, a, person, a, mystery. a Tumblr, if you will, a, a Pinterest. 
I know. I've been bad with my Tumblr. Especially with especially with the uh, Lifetime Movie Network, Jones, a Pinterest really is where you belong. Or, I mean, a Tumblr <laughs> that is like a Lifetime movie uh, mm-hmm. synopsis. Yeah. Every time you read a, or watch a Lifetime movie, you should... Um, do a little synopsis. I, you did I fall off the Tumblr, damn it. Yeah, that's right, because you were you were working on yep. the uh, the lost uh, the lost C- series. Yeah, I, I do miss that. I, I I have to get back on that. Work gets in the way, like everybody else. Mm-hmm. I did I do live tweet occasionally the Lifetime movies, and I know I did it for um, I believe it was the the pornography addiction one. If you go back, if anybody gives a shit, you should just set up your own well, uh, separate Twitter for this? the Lifetime Movie Network. We will not announce your Twitter name, but perhaps we'll put it in the show notes. So only students who really, really want to get a hold of you or see you live tweet Lifetime movies. (laughs) Fair enough. And then we will also have another evangelical episode, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And eventually you'll have, we'll be able to promote your book. Yeah, someday. Hopefully we'll have a podcast when that comes out. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Kyle, for joining us. We'll have you on again. You're welcome. And uh, thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Paul. Adios. Adios.